0: these satipatthana teachings my feeling for what they're trying to present is something that you can live in mm. Mm. as it mentions some of these sections when one's walking doing things scratching defecating lying down you stay in in the domain of sati in mindfulness that's a pretty uh, good reference points, the sense of the universality of what one is referring to. So, it's important to recognize this and remember this, particularly if we go from a retreat center into a more uh, full interactive domain Mm -hmm. to realize it doesn't mean you have to stop this practice. Mm -hmm. It's certainly very challenging. But that's why you sort of prune it down to certain bases that you can stay with body. Yeah, wherever you are, your body's there. Feeling, yeah, you feel things. Mm. Chitta's there, there's being affected, responding through the mind, heart, and dhammas are there. Mm. What are dhammas? What does this word mean? So it is translated in a couple of ways, neither of which um, really I find adequate. Mind objects um, and phenomena. Uh, it's it's a good attempt to try and find a word that will fit that. Um, but I think they both, mind objects, perhaps strays towards being too narrowly specific. What's a mind object before we think of a thought? Well, no, this isn't about a thought. This is something else. As you see, it refers to phenomena arising from eye contact, ear contact. This isn't just a thought. Mm. Phenomena, good, but it's kind of so Latin, you know, or Greek. Like You know, it's so abstract in some way. So I just call them things, It's fuzzy. Things. Things happen. (laughs) Now, oh, things happen. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean by that. (laughs) Exactly. So one is is mindful of things. (laughs) Or the stuff, as we call it. The stuff comes up. (laughs) And uh, in this last... um, section on on things on Dhamma there's a number of references hindrances which we touched on aggregates which we just looked at briefly and even more broadly and perhaps more easy to get hold of the senses the sense bases here the bhikkhu understands the eye he understands forms he understands the fetter that rises dependent on both Fetter um, grasped quality is more specifically used to refer to what are called the ten fetters. and the ten fetters, are all aspects of self self view. you recollect the ten fetters, the first three are to do with the self as the personality. Personality is this kind of, you know what that is, um, that led by the chattering mind social conditioning, um, you know, living inside this body kind of thing, mm. mind state inside the body, the personality, often molded profoundly by family, social conditioning and so forth. Um, this is the first level of these fetters mm, mm, in which we get attachment to systems and customs. What's the right way to do things? How do you do things? You yeah. know, how do I fit into the social norm? We get automatic, you know, we get... Society is it based upon making people more and more conformist <laughs> to create a sense of congruity. And naturally this means everybody's, what's the right thing to do? What's the right way to dress? What's the right way to say hello? What's the right way, you know, the right way? It can be very, very, very crucial to not social gaffe of some kind where people are offended and hate you forever because you put the spoons on the wrong side of the plate or something, which is an insult in their culture. (laughs) Or said the wrong thing, you know. Or didn't say the right thing. Mm -hmm. And certainly this is the case. So this begins up Doubt. Am I okay? Am I not okay? What should I refer to? What's there to tell me what's right or wrong? And we start thinking so this is the this is the person who has not uh, entered the stream because they don't have a reference to anything to orient themselves around apart from social customs, traditions conventions, techniques, and so forth mm. so so they don't actually found confidence in their chitta, their dhamma practice. So this is the first level of the fetters. The mm. second level deals with the sense of self as a being who is affected by pleasure and displeasure of various kinds, both um, worldly and we might say spiritual. And these associated with resistance, you know, resistance to, to feeling or gratification through feeling, even its feelings associated with mind states or subtle mental phenomena. So this is the second level of these fetters, which is successively severed through what's called the um, once-returner, non-returner. And the last one is the the fetter of (laughs) being anything, (laughs) a sense of being something. Mm. Occupying a certain space or territory or state of consciousness mm. which is what the Arahant relinquishes an Arahant is called a person of nothing <laughs> no success, no failure a person of completely nothing uh, nothing they hold on to nothing they resist so it's very much a dismantling of those fetters so we can look at this if we use that that frame of reference to so that word, behind that word, we look at the fetter established on sense contact, sensory awareness, I am here, that's there. And um, I'm in here, that's around me, the auditory consciousness, this is me who's being touched, tactile consciousness. And um, this is not even a conceptual thing, it's immediate way we're sort of formed into that fettered consciousness. Mm. And there are different it goes through the different sense bases of that. And then one understands the fetter, one recognizes the grasping, the self-forming, the defensiveness, the acquisition, the tendency to reach out and try and encompass everything or the tendency to push back and resist everything or the mingled tendencies that occur for us. Mm. Some situations we feel, this is mine, I own all this, this is my place, I'm doing this and we grab it all uh, and everything's got to fit the way I do it, otherwise I feel uncomfortable or irritable. Other situations I've just defend myself against, feel alone, isolated, hold my own. So kind of withdraw from situations, withdraw from contact, withdraw from relationship, withdraw from making any statement that people might object to. (laughs) Because, you know, it's this vibhava. I don't want to be here. And it's not as if we are in one all the time. We fluctuate. And we have different levels of what we feel we own or belong to. So you get extreme narcissist I own everything I am wonderful you have to fit into my world my planet my universe and these are people who generally run for office you know are <laughs> <laughs> not good enough for me I'm wonderful and you get neurotic is well I'm not anything I'm pathetic I'm not wanted here uh, you yeah, know and so forth and a good amount of those go to meditation retreats (laughs) 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 or become monks to avoid the discomfort of relationship (laughs) Uh, having to negotiate uh, dealing with one's sense of inadequacy Uh, uh. so these are the bhava-vibhava currents the eddy through the mind, the asava, bhava, vibhava current. I want to become everything, I want to become nothing. On my I want to own everything, I want to get away. I want to, this is mine, I don't want to take responsibility. You know, this kind of eddying around that can fluctuate, dependent on what we see, what we hear, uh, even what touches us, physically touches us. And most profoundly what our mind conceives of. So of all the senses, as I was saying the other day, you know, you look through the way they're listed, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, they're interested in terms of intimacy. Visual consciousness, not intimate at all. I can see things, they don't necessarily see me. If I see something I can be sure it's a good way away. And I can turn my head and not see it. And if I peek around a corner I can look at somebody not seeing me that's pretty safe <laughs> you get down to you know getting up your nose <laughs> it's getting fairly intimate tactile very intimate could be extreme pleasure displeasure or mixtures of the two you know so sexual contact can be appalling wonderful and probably a lot of it's just kind of trying to make it work some or another And uh, because people have different wiring, you know. (laughs) But certainly not what you'd imagine it's going to be, that's for sure. (laughs) But it's extremely, you know, sensitive because, and on the bodily sense, you begin to get a sense really, really of relationship. You know, if something touches me, I touch it, and vice versa. So how is this going to work? It could be pleasant, it could be deadly. Mm. So it's extremely tuned in. Mm. And beyond that, you have mind consciousness. So mind consciousness, you're so in it that the sense of me is in this very confused, tumbling experience of you're both the one who does the thinking, then in a split second you're the one who's afflicted by thinking. You're one who wants to come up with a great idea, and a split second later you're the one who wants to stop thinking, because mm-hmm. these thoughts are driving you nuts, and you think about that, how you'd love to stop thinking, so you keep thinking how are you' you going to stop thinking <laughs> <laughs> And there's this kind of you know, merry go-round turmoil in the mental consciousness you know, so the yeah, where the sense of self just keeps moving between being the one who's afflicted by the thought and being the one who does the thought. Because of course it's a ghost, it's a phantom. It's just thinking and emotional responses to those. Mm. We begin to release the thinker, the idea of the thinker, the idea of the one who searches for the right thought is unhappy they can't get the right thought. Is trying to figure it out, who hates thinking loves thinking we begin to work on that passion and that confusion and that agitation thinking's no more problems scratching your head just something that happens and there is isn't that emotional agitation around it. the fetter of believing you're the thinker of feeling you're the thinker because the way life has gone for most of us the thinker has been the most important aspect what we are we go to school we go to universities we learn to we think 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 and that becomes a crucial sense of how well you will be approved of if you're not literate you're an idiot if you can't talk eloquently you're a, you're a numbskull you know if you don't get good grades you're finished so it becomes extremely you know not in there and then meditation it's the opposite if you can't stop thinking, you're an idiot. <laughs> you can't stop thinking, you're a useless meditator. So suddenly, the, you know, <laughs> the thing is around the other way. <laughs> you get cred here yeah, for not being able to think. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> so, now when you come from this, where you, to, to the world, we call it outside, Suddenly your thinking capacity, that's one of the big things, suddenly has to get into gear and get going and work out some convincing strategies. (laughs) And the last month you've been recognising how stupid your thinking is (laughs) and how you want to kind of quiet it down. Now you've got to actually get it on the road and rev it up to get going. Wow, what's the answer to this? Acquired dispassion towards thinking. And then that works in both instances, you know, because it's not the thinking, it's the fetter. The fetter is the grip, I am thinking, I am the thinker, that feeling of everything rests upon my thoughts, my thoughts of my way of building is very important, and only my thinking is gonna hold me together. I'm gonna figure out how I'm gonna get out through this situation, what I'm gonna do about the rest of my life, you know, let alone get through the next hour. It's not going to get you there. That vehicle is not going to get you there. It's not going to get you there. It's not, you're not going to be able to figure out what to do with the rest of your life. I'd recommend you be very cautious about even figuring out well how you're going to get through the day. <laughs> just the main thing is well how you get through the day, just trust your awareness, settling your body, steady. Stay tuned in. Feel what's happening in your heart. Vitaka point, vichara, sample. What's happening? Anxious? Let's deal with that. Impatient? Let's deal with that. Restless? Let's deal with that. Uh, Great ideas? Let's deal with that. Vision for the glorious future? Let's deal with that. Hmm? (laughs) Then you're really working turning towards where the, the fetter and its fever, the fever that occurs around it, the fever of self, the fever of becoming, the fever of being able to predict what I'm going to be, how it's going to be, the fever of becoming something. Because whatever, for sure, you know, this process is going to go on until you die, and you can't determine when that's going to happen, <laughs> but you can determine. I'll maintain awareness. I'll use the body to to steady me, to give me a sense of an orientation. I'll refer to my ethical standards, tune into the heart, and the rest of it's going to be a bit strange. <laughs> but I guess I'll learn to live with it. And that's <laughs> working. So just bear in mind that these sense bases of which the dominant one is the mind manovinyana so I call this the external mind because it's thinking about it's about something isn't it so it, it puts things in abstract by 4 o'clock this afternoon by Christmas by next year it's so thinking about so it creates an idea because there's no such thing in reality as Christmas or next year it's just another light, dark, warmth, cold same as it was today in some level you know? so it generates these, these dumbers right? you know, fabricates these concepts and symbols then gets fascinated and mesmerised by them and then gets trapped by them you know, it creates them Thinking this will give me certainty, and it gets trapped by them. I've got to get it done by next year. What? What's what's the next year? Why well, I don't see any next years. <laughs> I've got to get somewhere by Tuesday. I don't. I, where's the Tuesday? I can't see any Tuesdays. Is it up in the sky? Tuesday is it? Uh, it says so on my Google calendar. <laughs> It says choose what's that? It's just something I'm looking at. You know. I know what you mean. But just start to your mind created that thing with the idea that this would give you certainty. What did it give you? It gave you I've got to be there, I've got to make this, oh no, am I ready for that? Have I prepared for this? It gives you anxiety. Aims for certainty gives you anxiety. I've got my ticket, airline ticket, leaving Boston, 16, you know, sixteen thirty. Great, there it is. I wonder if I, what time do I have to leave for the airport? You yeah, know, you never know; there could be a traffic jam. Yeah, I better leave for an extra hour. But then again, if we car might break down, better make it two hours extra. And then again, there might be a custom scare, so maybe three hours extra. And then because it might be a snow and frost, but, oh my God, I wish I wasn't going, I can't. Because <laughs> 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 I can't, I don't know if I can surely make that date that I've, I've planned. Because there's all this uncertainty in between here and there. Mm-hmm. So in, the, in that uncertainty you can't know you can't know you may be all figured out when the taxi's coming to take you to the airport all figured out you walk out the door slip on the ice break your ankle sorry you're not going to the airport (laughs) you've got to go to hospital You can't, but you can, Okay, here we are, breathing, body, deal with it. Now this this position, this experience of where does the external mind, the internal aspect of it, which is the heart, which feels, sensitizes, searches for security, Right. And there's a kind of gap between the two. This is called Bardo. <laughs> so yesterday we had some questions about Bardo and fortuitously, as I went back to my room, I had a book by this Tibetan Rinpoche, Mingyo Rinpoche, a book called In Love... With the world, a monk's journey through the bardos of living and dying. So, oh well, open that up. And I came to the chapter, what will you do in the bardo? Mingyur Rinpoche. So, here I'll read some sections from this. What will you do in the bardo? My father had asked. One of my older brothers had moved down to the densely populated city area of Kathmandu and after a few months he came to visit us at Nagi Gompa. My brother complained about the cars that honked and backfired and the dogs that barked all night. He winced describing Hindi love songs blasting from transistor radios and fake gurus who sermonised through loudspeakers. I cannot meditate, I cannot maintain any mental composure. My sleep is fitful and I feel stressed all the time, he explained. With genuine concern, my father had gently asked, What will you do in the bardo? In my tradition, we explore six stages of life and death transitions known as bardos. Impermanence frames the entire cycle. Is particularly prominent in the natural bardo of this life. The span from first to last breath until we accept the truth of impermanence, ignorance and confusion will darken our days. And when we say impermanence, this is where I think... Anicca means relative or not established. It's not the established, so it's both impermanent and uncertain. Um, it's not established. Mm. The Bhadu of this life includes the bardos of sleep and meditation. Mm. During this lifetime, nothing takes greater advantage of our present human existence than familiarizing ourselves with our own minds. Essentially, meditation is the most effective tool with which to accomplish this. After this life, we enter the fourth bardo, the bardo of dying, which begins with the irreversible decline of our bodies. The fifth bardo, called the bardo of dharmata, is a dream-like passage that leads to the last bardo, the bardo of becoming. At the end of the sixth bardo, we take birth in a new form, and the bardo of life begins again. In colloquial usage, when my father asked, what will you do in the bardo? He is referring to the bardos of becoming the stage between dying and rebirth, an intermediate period fraught with difficulties for those who have cultivated no mental equanimity. Yet, as my brother's predicament suggested, intermediate also applies to a disturbed mind within this life. My brother was in between a quiet rural life and a noisy urban experiment. He was between the old and familiar and the new and unknown, in between past and present. My father's question is, what will you do in the midst of frightening sounds? Or in a crowded, reeking train. Or in a terrorist attack. Or in a war. Or in any one of life's countless unwanted events, a diagnosis of ill health, a flat tyre. A perception of being slighted. Or disrespected. Or rejected. What will you do when you experience your life as being interrupted by undesired circumstances? Will you maintain a steady mind that can accommodate what you don't want and actually be of benefit to yourself and others? How do we act when we do not get what we want, when what we do not want, or when we do not want what we have? Bardo can be... experience we cannot hold things together the ground beneath us drops out these experiences of falling apart commonly occur with traumatic events that include shock and upheaval everyday occurrences of heartbreak and loss can be so wrenching and unexpected that they interrupt familiar ideas that we have about ourselves so when we look at it this way you realise Bardo is really what (laughs) is that place outside the familiar where the external sense spaces are trying to find a reality they can't construct the internal qualities are feeling unsettled because they're bonded to the external the heart is bonded to the mind the mind tells it You're here, everything's okay, the heart feels comfortable. Mm. The mind says, you can't trust these people, I don't know, look at them, the heart feels unsteady. As long as that grip occurs, the heart is tethered to the vagaries and uncertainties and threats of the external sense world. Mm. So the relinquishment of that grip of selfhood mm, is what we call the the first level of awakening, stream entry. What has to occur then is to increasingly cultivate awareness of the internal basis of mind, of citta, which is still affected by pleasure, pain, wonderful meditation experiences or lack of them, and, and so forth, and trying to stabilize itself in some supernormal territory, and begin to understand, relinquish that particular need mm, through wisdom, through so really understanding deeply understanding, deeply sensing and feeling the assurance of truth conditions are impermanent. the release from clinging. getting this down. Now, there are different ways you can cultivate these internal bases. So, um, yesterday, mentioning the auditory consciousness, listening to the sound of listening, listening to the listening, you get the internal base opens up. Mm. And that's probably the easiest one. Mm. Um, And what this does, because it it tends to... um, not have feeling in it. That's why it's relatively peaceful, because it doesn't it's non relational. Not as acutely relational as tactile is. With auditory you have some choice. You know, whether you can get away from that sound or it doesn't necessarily see or doesn't necessarily grip you like like tactile does. So it's much less acutely relational. So has less feeling in it. This makes it easier more peaceful. Um, Tactile, body body awareness is more volatile, has feeling and my personal sense why I've always more or less inclined that way is because I I sense this is where a lot of the old residual habits and patterns lie that need to be released. So, yeah, we get uh, relational anxiety. Am I okay? Mm. Fear of contact, fear of relationship, pain of relationship, pleasure of relationship, uncertainty of relationship. Most of us probably feel just a little bit nervous when we first meet somebody. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> it means your system saying, well, I don't know. Good, good that you don't know. Then you're going to be more alert. You shouldn't just jump in, you know, because you don't know what they're feeling. So there's that sense of nervousness, because we're in bardo, we're in the intermediate state, the uncertain state, the unbecome. Un- it hasn't actually formed yet, and there's that in us which wishes, urges to get a form, definite. That's called becoming. And release from becoming, you don't want to be definite. You want to be, maybe so. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. If we keep bringing up the good qualities, then what happens will be the best that could happen. That's about all you can know. Right? It may not be perfect, but the best that you can do is to bring up enlightenment factors, mindfulness, investigation, so forth, checking yourself. So this uncertainty actually is a trigger for us to look at what, to really apply our resources, the ones that aren't dependent upon the vagaries of sense contact, and what people think and say and do, but dependent upon the purity and strength of our cultivation. These are the treasures you take with you. And those are your assets. And point of retreat is to, to get those and make those strong and use them so they will then serve you when time is needed. And they are needed because we're always in between this and that. We're always in Bardo. <laughs> yeah. As Rinpoche says, Bardo can be understood to mean this very moment. The nowness of this moment is the continual suspension in between our transitory experiences, both temporal and spatial, such as the tiny halt that exists between this breath and the next. I've been mentioning Mm. or the arising and fading of this thought and the next we can understand this interval as the emptiness that allows us to fully see form everything is in between Mm. even though we cannot pinpoint the exact beginning or ending of anything Nevertheless, the gathering together of things into categories can be helpful. Each bardo gathers together characteristics that are particular to each stage of our journey. So again, this is, um, thank you, Rinpoche, for turning up at the right time. <laughs> So every situation with its own indeterminance, own insecurities, own unfulfilledness, own sense of not having been completed, need to be more. If we don't follow those signals which are urging us to acquire permanence, becoming, stability, if we don't follow those signals, what arises is our dhamma practice that's pertinent to that particular experience. What arises, lingering in uncertainty, is the qualities of our Dhamma practice that are relevant to that particular experience. They arise. The person doesn't do it. Mm. So, although I kind of referred humorously yesterday to a, a kind of a, a bardo as falling off the walking path, it was a bit, I find it easier to talk about myself in flippant ways <laughs> than anything more actually accurate to what's going on. Uh, I think it's part of social anxiety. Mm. But I remember a few years back, um, a near-death experience that I had. And this was when I was a um, fairly junior monk living at Chittabhi and It was a big building project going on. And this was basically we are stripping out all the wood in the house that we were living in because it had been infested with fungal growth called dry rot, which is a fungus that eats the wood. So the only cure was to take all the infected wood out and burn it and then spray the rest of the wood with fungicide, which is poisonous to human beings. This meant floorboards had to go, doors had to go, um, and whatever wood was left, it seemed reasonably okay. We painted it with the fungicide. So we worked on this with great diligence, since this was the only place we had to live in, and this place was falling apart, and I was detailed one day to paint the joists. The joists are the big timbers that um, fill in the space between the ceiling of one room and the next room. They're the basis of the floor, big supportive timbers. So They'd taken all the floorboards out. All that were left were these about 10 of these main timbers between the emptiness below and the emptiness above. <laughs> bardo <laughs> so I was detailed to do this and it was getting dark and we didn't have electricity, we didn't have lighting but we had a, a few um, plug in light bulbs so we had these kind of draped around so as a dim light and then these, these joists are only about six inches wide so I'm trying to crawl along these joists painting this fungicide on it and it's dark and I had a pair of goggles on to keep the fungus I've and going into my eyes and a big pair of rubber gloves on that didn't fit to do the painting with so I was crawling along in the dark because the goggles were plastic, the lenses were scratched I couldn't see, it's dark I didn't want to fall through the gaps between the joists into the space beneath which was you a know, 12 foot drop into the next room so I, oh, I can't see, I took the goggles off and he's Rubber gloves, which didn't fit. I took those off. i was trying to get this thing done. So I've slapped the fungicide liberally over the, um, the joist. Okay, done my work. Eight o'clock at night. I us go take a shower. I feel kind of strange. Heart's beating like ten times quicker than it normally does. Take a shower. I'm feeling really strange. Really strange. And that time I was living, I'd built a... Um, it's called a bender. Because the house was such a ruin, I got a big heap of hazel twigs. I made a kind of bed out of them and I put some hazel rods, looped them over into like a, a simple hoop shape and then threw a tarpaulin over it so that acted as a tent. And at that time I was doing what they call the sitter's practice, which means you don't lie down. And you take this on for three, four months, sometimes a year, where you don't lie down at night. And I was doing this. So, and to facilitate that, I kind of wedged a plank in this tent so I could lean my back on it when I sat there through the night. So I'd kind of crawled into my little tent bender, feeling really, really weird, and leaned against this plank and then felt really, very, very weird. And everything started going, you know. And then, you know, first of all, I, I couldn't, see, couldn't see anything. And then body begins to disappear. Ear consciousness disappears. And, I, well, what, and then the mind is, what, what? I don't know. I don't even know who I am. In fact, I can't even, I can't even think the word just realising that the, the ability to think is going. Don't know where, what, who, and sitting there, just leaning it. then this, this light started shining. And the only sense was this sense in the heart, like love, go to the light, just let go into the light. So, okay something, wasn't even a conceptual thing, it was just this feeling of the light, love, and I just started feeling a sense of enormous gratitude, blessing, happiness, just love, and letting go into that. So that's kind of what happened, and I don't know, because there's no way of calculating time, but at some point there was some sense, non-verbal, Go back, go back. It wasn't a verbal thing. It's a feeling of you have to go, you go back. And then I realised I was kind of this crumpled heap, kind of half upright, slumped over with a plank behind me. I kind of, kind of huddled. There's a body here, <laughs> and uh, just curling up with around my Navel just curling up like a fetus around the navel. Don't know why he was doing that, but just gone into his fetal position, half upright, half down, staying. in gradually bits of, you know, the conventional world coming in, and then, oh, oh, it's time for morning chanting. So I could drag myself together, go after to the. the, the So, you know, so it seems to me that at that time, you know, what was needed, the dharma that was needed, is like uh, just metta, mudita, surrender, giving oneself, allowing, letting go, trust it, go beyond, just trust, 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 let go, be be the love, be in the love. And that was the dharma that arose at that particular time. I didn't have any strategy and it certainly wasn't thinking way you threw it. But my, my faith is that that's kind of the way it goes. That's the way it goes. And although probably none of us are going to die tonight, but you never know, But I imagine many of us in the next few days will come to those points when one of us, what's going on? I don't know what to do. I can't figure this, Uh, and then just they pause, stop, pause. Where are you? You And wherever you are, it's dark or bright or stabilize and in that there will be a return to the chitta that's what happens it's built in when we die we return to chitta personal mind disappears future disappears strategies disappear you you do it automatically when the sense doors fade out the external senses the internal ones open up and Jitta being the primary one, the leader of that. And uh, so that's what take us through the Bardo. So as we contemplate our lives, don't strategize yourself out of uncertainty. You know, it is uncertain, and often we're trying to make it certain. Try to just avoid strategizing yourself out of uncertainty. It's uncomfortable, but it will bring up the best in you. Your chitta comes up to the surface and decides this is what you're doing, <laughs> and then there's no choice. It's pretty much like how I. Became a bhikkhu. It wasn't something I figured out. It's just don't know what to do, da, da 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 da, and then something says, This is what you're doing. How long for? No no details. <laughs> Why? No details. This is what you're doing. Okay. Well, <laughs> but, but <laughs> that's doubt. <laughs> but I should now that's doubt. Okay. How long for? No details yet. Stay with it. Stay with it. Mm -hmm. Stay in the opportunity for insecurity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look at the places of control and how many of them make you feel good. Obviously, do to some degree, but long term. How many of the control strategies, the planning makes you feel really comfortable? How much of it just makes you more tight, more impatient, more predictable, less fluent, less flowing, more immediately here? Mm. Uncertainty really helps you do that. <laughs> mm. So while well, we have this opportunity for embodiment, and um, <laughs> which is what um, once again Rinpoche seems to back me up <laughs> as a path towards liberation. Intellectual acknowledgement of impermanence must become integrated with embodied experience. Then we can gain more support for giving up grasping at those things we cannot hold, whether that means our own bodies, or those of people we love, or our roles, or our prestige. Mm glimpses of pristine awareness can be transformative but it takes work to stabilize the view this is why we say short moments many times many many times <laughs> So, you know as we come to what this particular transiting from this bardo to the next <laughs> or it's Refuge Bardo into whatever. It's a very crucial transition Mm. where you get the sense of a form is dissolving. Another form is about to arise. You probably have some idea of what it will be. There may be a, a sense of familiarity Familiarity is dullness. Familiarity is sleepiness. Familiarity is a blanket over awareness. Understandable? Mm. But stay in the transition. This is a transition. This whole life is a transition. This is where you learn the path and the way and the field of liberation.